This is Bloomberg Business Week from Bloomberg Radio. Jason, recently the World Bank reported that robots aren't yet killing off all of our jobs. Well, that's a relief. <laughs> Few were safe. But this is a middle world going through the fourth industrial revolution that have led to common gloomy predictions that humans are set to be replaced by machines. We talk about it all the time. There's a great story mm-hmm. uh, about this in the magazine this week. Craig Torres wrote the story and along the way connected with Lonnie Jaffe. He's managing director at the venture capital firm Insight Venture Partners, about $20 billion in assets under management, I believe. So, Lonnie, from an investor's perspective, how do you look at machines versus humans? So, in the general economy, we're used to something on the order of 2% inflation every year, um, give or take. And that's prices increasing. But in the technology industry, we're actually, in most sectors, there's relentless, extraordinary levels of deflation. Just as an example, in 1981, if you wanted to buy a gigabyte of storage, it would cost about $500,000. Today, it's about three cents or a little less. Wow. One sixteen millionth the cost. And what happens when prices decline that much is sometimes new business models can be unlocked mm-hmm. and even new pools of labor. So the internet, which is a very low-cost, impressive piece of communication technology, allows technologies like Upwork or Etsy to allow people who are in hard-to-reach locations participate in the global macroeconomic system. So that's one uh, thing that can actually increase the amount of labor per capital. Mm. That is, um, that in, and software itself, just in general, is becoming a much larger portion of the economy, right? So in some of the other large industries like banking or, uh, or telecommunications, there were a handful of large companies that emerged. But in software, there's just a large number of extremely big companies that are being produced. And even in industries like entertainment and retail, what you'll have is companies like Netflix or Amazon, which are software company-like DNA, will, um, will start to take over more and more of the industry. And software is very scalable. So in the old days, you would have uh, a piece of technology like a machine, and maybe a handful of people could use it to be productive. But with software, you can build something like Gmail and put it up on the internet, and a billion people can use it to become more productive. And so the ratio of capital to labor can actually favor labor in those types of scenarios because a smaller amount of capital can make more people productive. I love this explanation. So that helps explain kind of where we are in this environment, right? We constantly have you know conversations about trying to understand you know why is it we continue to have this strong labor force, no signs of inflation, and this might help explain it. Yeah, there there certainly is uh, a lot of software technology that is a substitute product for certain types of labor. Mm-hmm. So, some ta- in, in an economic context, context, people talk about substitute goods and complementary goods. So, a substitute good is something where, when a new technology emerges, you might replace a human task, like a back office paperwork role. Right. Um, but then there's other human or like tasks. getting a car. Like, well, I don't have to call somebody to get a cab, right? I can just do it via Uber or Lyft or something else. Exactly. And that, um, actually, cars are an interesting example of a complementary good uh, to, to follow the, um, the example, because what you have is if, if battery prices go down, right, cars that are electric can actually become more valuable. Similarly, certain types of software and technology, um, as they go down in cost, the human labor that is the complementary task, like uh, uh, judgment, for example, mm-hmm. um, can actually become more valuable. There's a great book, Prediction Machines, which talks about how machine learning, which allows predictions to come down in cost, mm-hmm. can actually cause human judgment to go up in value. Well, one of the great anecdotes in Craig Torres' story this week in the magazine is about an ER and mm-hmm. triage and how 
with the doctor approaching it differently, virtually, in fact, removed from sort of the melee of the actual emergency room, the emergency room becomes more productive in a way that the staff actually increases to deal with the higher number of patients that are able to be coming through the door and actually cared for. Yeah, so the healthcare industry- we need more workers right. to care for them. Exactly. So so the uh, electronic medical record, the first generation of, of software for hospitals, um, some of it was actually just very bad. <laughs> bad software, like yeah. hard to use. And there was a promise of better record sharing or better diagnostic capability. But in reality, what ended up happening is doctors and nurses would spend hours every day uh, navigating their way through uh, hard to use software to enter in data. Right. And it actually caused a lot more labor to be needed to provide right. the same amount of care. Um, there's a new generation at Insight Venture Partners. We invested in a company called Central Reach, which is software for uh, clinics that treat autism. Mm -hmm. And it's very good software that's easy to use. And so there are some human tasks that will uh, no longer require as much time, like scheduling or billing. But then there's other human tasks, like actually treating the patients or students with autism. And that actually allows them to spend more time and hire more clinicians to do that. I think about a story that we had in the magazine that talked about venture capitalists that using AI, that they're able to kind of create formulas so that they can quickly filter through a lot more companies that they might not otherwise even look at because it's a smaller investment, but because they're able to use something like that, that they're able to maybe invest in more and more companies. And if you think about that, maybe then more and more companies come to fruition, contribute to the economy, and you need more workers. (laughs) That's right. In fact, any of the, um, and we do that at Inside Venture Partners, we have a, a a very lightweight machine learning system to help that, screen through that tries to find companies that are growing rapidly. Yeah, it's not making investment decisions, right? That's a human mm-hmm. judgment task that um, we don't really have any like on the horizon. It's not obvious that we're making progress along the uh, along the path of being able to do that. But the prediction of which companies are growing that's getting a lot better. Right. Um, and one of the things that happens with machine learning technology is as it starts getting deployed, um, you can provide products like Amazon's recommendation engine, right, or the Netflix mm-hmm. recommendation engine. Very, very good for consumers. Um, but what you'll see is that the um, it requires a lot of data to be stored, personal information, and then that data needs to be secured. Um, and that security task of you know, cybersecurity so you don't end up like uh, the Equifax hack mm-hmm. um, actually requires a lot of people. Right. And so what ends up happening is you have a better product, but you need more people in order to secure the data. Um, and that's a reason why at Insight Venture Partners, we've been investing in a lot of cybersecurity companies. We've been looking for privacy companies to invest in. Um, and you see in, in certain industries like healthcare that have been slower to digitize, um, they've actually become a larger percentage of the economy over yeah. time. And as a result, that industry shift um, can re- can because the more labor intensive portions of the economy um, are now a larger portion of the economy can actually shift the increase the ratio of labor to capital. So let's talk. Let's go a level deeper on this because I would love to understand how you create an investment thesis, you and your partners, sort of around this idea. And you've given us a couple different examples, but how does it change the way you look at specific sectors? How does it change even your your day-to-day here with this in mind? 
Yeah. So uh, let's take the AI uh, example. Um, so within the AI space, you think of it, this is an oversimplification, but as having three layers, right? So the first layer is software that you use to build a machine learning system of some kind. Uh, there are some interesting businesses there, although the best tech typically is being built in-house in the large consumer internet companies like Google or Amazon and then made mm -hmm. available as either open source software for free or very cheap or put on public cloud platforms. And so it's a pretty high bar to invest in a business at that layer because you need to be better than that. Yeah, yeah. The next layer um, are... AI-powered cross-industry capabilities like cybersecurity or fraud detection or churn prediction um, that, are, that have a prediction system under the covers. And so they, they learn from more data and they improve. And at that layer, you see companies um, actually pretty happy to give you their data as long as you treat it carefully because they just want to be using the product that's getting better the most quickly. Uh, in the cybersecurity case, they want herd immunity, right? They want to, uh, they want to bet on the leader. And yeah. so those can be amazing businesses. And we've invested in a, over a dozen cybersecurity businesses at Insight. Um, then the third layer gets a little tricky again, although it's still very interesting. And these are turnkey industry-specific applications that do something specific using uh, some sort of machine learning system under the covers to do predictions. Those, um, those are also interesting, except you do run into the challenge if, if you go to a large bank and you say, why don't you give me all of your customer information so I can build a software business with massive amounts of economic power? <laughs> the first thing that they're going to say is, well, why don't we try to do that ourselves? Yeah. Um, they're, they're also worried about privacy and security, yeah. but they're also... But, at their core, they don't want to become hollow shells that are just managing customer relationships. Uh, they want to be able to use their own scale to build a business in the industry. But there are still some really interesting businesses at, at that layer, and we've been making a number of investments. For example, we invested in a legal contract analytics software company called Kira Systems that understands the inside of a legal contract, um, or a company called Precision Lender that helps with loan pricing. Uh, or, or, so so that, that kind of capability um, can can also improve over time. It has uh, what economists sometimes call demand side economies of scale, which is mm -hmm. where the product gets better as more people use it. Well, I also think it helps explain another story. And I'm thinking about the story on Zillow, how they're kind of transforming their company. They're not just about giving estimates, right, for selling of homes or buying of homes, the Zestimate, as we were kidding about earlier, but, you know, also getting actively involved in buying them and, and kind of getting to be a bigger, bigger role in the residential real estate market, right? Because if they don't do it, somebody else is going to do it. That's right. Yeah. And those types of businesses, um, which you know, can become thinner in some, layer, in some ways, right? uh, almost like multi-sided marketplaces where yeah. you have uh, suppliers on the market and then you have consumers on the market, or it can be even more complicated than that where there's more than two sides. Um, those, that, there's a big trend in the technology industry with Uber and Airbnb to have thinner companies. You're also seeing, because of some of the machine learning uh, uh, as, uh, sources of economic power, uh, reconfiguration or, or redesign of theory of the firm, like what is the boundary of the firm to try to capture more data types. Right. So in some cases, in companies like Amazon are an example of this, and Netflix as well, you're seeing vertical integration, where right. instead of becoming thinner, they're actually becoming thicker in some ways. And so, for example, Netflix has moved into original programming, right. um, and Amazon is, being, is moving into delivery. Um, and so as you go down, you may be able to capture sources of data, either training data or, or feedback data about how good your, your, your machine learning systems are performing um, that, can, that can be a long-term source of economic power the way uh, Google has with search. Right? They, they, one of the reasons why the product is good is because they do a good job building the product. But another reason is that there's more people doing searches. I'm curious about, because you said one of the most kind of interesting areas that you guys are finding in terms of investing is the cybersecurity. 
we often are talking to so many different cybersecurity firms, and I feel like every day, every week, there's a bunch of new companies. How do you discern which one is interesting in a smarter, longer-term investment play, perhaps? Yeah, so there's a few things we look for. I mean, one one of the luxurious things about being a growth stage investor is that uh, the companies have typically hit real-world traction by the time we're investing in them. Yeah. So you can see quantitative evidence of customers loving the product yeah, right. uh, in, in the form of things like gross retention rates, which is, um, which is probably one of the better signals of a company doing well, um, and growth, like real-world real growth of adoption and usage and, and revenue. Um, the other thing that we look for is highly differentiated intellectual property, um, which is, you know, we built a thing, and no one else can build that, and it's better than them. There, yeah. And and there are some incredible companies that have built long-term sustainable businesses with that as their primary uh, moat, or, or uh, from an economic sense. Um, and then uh, really good talent is obviously helpful, um, although it's harder than it's ever been. And this is one of the reasons why some of the uh, larger technology companies have been struggling is that they've been losing a lot of good talent. You know, it used to be mm-hmm. that you would have really good people and no one else would know how to get them. And now everybody puts their resumes up on the internet with LinkedIn. And so it's easier <laughs> than ever to poach uh, good talent if you have a better idea. Um, and then finally, if there's some sort of scale power, then that makes the company more interesting. Okay. Right? So there's always benefits of being the larger player in a space. Like, for example, you can amortize fixed costs like R&D um, over more revenue. But these days, there's all these interesting demand side scale powers like network effects or right. becoming a platform or having a data a, a thing where if you gather more data, your product improves. And those can be really interesting. The thing we're really good at at Insight is getting companies to scale. So if you combine that with a strategy where if you get to scale, you can have a really sustainable business, then that can be a good combination. Got to ask you, because you mentioned big tech companies, you mentioned talent, you worked at uh, CA Technologies, you worked at IBM for a long time. How are you finding it uh, on this side of the table? It's very interesting. I mean, in some ways, it's not completely different uh, because, you know, at Insight, we have uh, over 150 portfolio companies. Right. Um, it's different in that you don't own 100% of all of them. Yeah. Uh, so some of them are minority investments. Some of them are control investments. Um, and they're each run by CEOs instead of divisional GMs. Um, but you can still provide a lot of uh, value at from at the fund level, right? So we have a lot of infrastructure for introducing companies to customers and helping with marketing, sales, product management, you know, especially talent recruiting, things like that. Um, and you have a little bit more flexibility in that when companies become worth a lot more, um, you can exit. Yeah. Um, you don't you don't have to keep them forever yeah. <laughs> in the way that a lot of the large uh, technology companies do. Um, I mean, they, they don't have to either, although they tend to. Um, and so that uh, that decreases like reconfigurability to some degree. And um, and then from one one other thing that's a little bit different is the investor dynamic. Yeah. So we have a, a longer term time horizon, um, and some public companies have a long term time horizon. You know, Amazon and Google are probably good examples there. Um, but a lot of them are focused on you know essentially return of capital. And so they're trying to generate short-term profits and return those to shareholders. I feel like we'd be remiss to have you here and not ask. But I mean, in terms of the opportunities that are coming across your desk, what are some of the most interesting trends that you're seeing right now? So one area I've been looking at um, pretty closely, although we, we haven't found uh, a tremendous amount of uh, scale companies yet in this space, is privacy technology. It's similar to cybersecurity in that um, it is hard to co- for companies to do themselves and extremely important and will be, continue to be important for a long time and will benefit from data effects and a lot of the things I was talking about earlier. But you... Um, but you 
you don't, it's different. So with cybersecurity, you're trying to prevent breaches and hacks. With privacy technology, you want to provide good products to your customers from a software perspective, but you want to treat the data sensitively. You can only use certain types of data in certain ways. And if you're a company like Facebook, you can hire thousands of people to help you with that. But if you're kind of a more uh, traditional enterprise, you need to buy software to help. And so that's one area that we've been looking at really carefully. Lonnie Joffe, what a treat to catch up with you. Thank Inside you. Venture Partners Managing Director joining us here in New York. Great to be here. Thanks for having me. This is Bloomberg. Bloomberg.